I record every episode of the Pork and Feed the Birds on unceded Indigenous lands. And I like to start every episode by acknowledging that it always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. And I pay my respects and shout out to community and elders past and present, the lands I record on. G'day. I'm Tom Tanneke. I'm a pest. No, I'm not. I'm a counter-terrorism expert researcher specialist, qualified academic counter-terrorism counter-extremism, countering violent extremism, expert, specialist, specialist, expert. No, I'm not. I just like laughing at that concept. There is, it's very easy for people to posit themselves as such these days. Heaven forbid you would ignore all the fucking titles and just do some work. Thanks for joining me on the latest episode of The Pork and Feed the Birds. Can I say I'm very sorry that I wasn't with you last fortnight. Now, you might think that I don't love you anymore. You may, you you would have every right to think that, but you'd be wrong. I do love you. I love you very deeply. My love for you has only grown deeper over time. You know, you shouldn't have such little faith in the man who loves you. I was... Uh, on a bit of a trip. I was on the road for some of the time and I was six for some of the rest of the time. Um, that's the best excuse I have. But I'm back with you now. And I'm back with you now for two reasons. Three reasons. One is to record, obviously, the latest episode of the Pork and Feed the Birds, the act of recording the content itself. Um, and, and thank you for being part of that process by listening to my dulcet tones. The second is I'm interviewing uh, Sam Watson, who is a sick cunt, and he's also a member of Refugee Solidarity Mianjin, uh, uh, otherwise known as Brisbane. And he is on here to talk to me about the fundraisers currently taking place for the Free the KP120 effort that he, along with the rest of the people in and around uh, the, the refugee rights movement and Refugee Solidarity Mianjin have been involved in for just about one year now. Uh, to free uh, people seeking asylum from the cruel and unjust detention, uh, in non- notably in hotel accommodation in Kangaroo Point, but really, you know, predating that in Manus and Nauru and, and, and really in this long uh, uh, fascist experiment we've undertaken for, for uh, what's going on decades now of using the livelihood of people seeking asylum as political football. We're going to hear a little bit about the struggles of that movement over the past year, some of the stunts that they've done, um, and and how you can support them most immediately with the fundraiser. And also stay tuned, of course, because if you're in or around Mianjin, Brisbane, you can attend a protest uh, to uh, acknowledge the one year of fighting that RSM have been doing. Uh, at Kangaroo Point. Um, so go along to that if you can. After that, what I'll be doing is I'll be having a look at the National Socialist Network Activist Manual, which was leaked. So I'm going to read through a little bit of that. Look, it is over 100 pages, so I'm not going to do the whole damn thing. But I am going to have a look at a couple of things that I think are particularly pertinent. There's a couple of, ha, I told you so moments. Um, even though it's not, you know, that's no great surprise for me. I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Nazis. Um, and, but, you know, there's a couple of uh, lessons for it, for, for us in there as well, and for other people talking about or covering the left. So I'll get into that afterwards. Um, but you can expect me to talk about that activist manual in a bit more depth through other platforms as well. 
For now, let's get into the yarn with Sam Watson of Refugee Solidarity, Mianjin. G'day Sam, and thanks for coming on, mate. That's all good. Thanks for having me. So first of all, just stepping back and I suppose assuming we've got people listening without the background or the context, who are the KP120, as we call them? Uh, the KP120 are a group of refugees um, who were brought from Manus and Nauru under medevac uh, legislation. They were placed in uh, Kangaroo Point Central Hotel and Apartments um, that had become an APOD, um, which stands for Alternative Place of Detention. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically 120 people who were locked in a hotel um, in late 2019. Yeah, um, who, yeah, had have been in detention for um, who at that point seven years when they were first locked in there mm. um, in offshore detention. Um, but this was the the first time that they'd been to um, the mainland. Um, and put in detention here. And for some of them, that's now over eight years, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, over eight years now. All right, Sam, so I'm going to shoot here. I'm going to ask the question, why have we had people seeking asylum interned in accommodation, first of all, offshore, or, you know, detention, first of all, offshore and then hotel accommodation, some for over eight years. Why? Um, bastards in government. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, wanted, they, they decided that, um, you know, they, they needed a, a scapegoat to get the target off their backs, um, and they decided that refugees were a pretty good target. Um, so, you know, they can, they can blame refugees, um, for, you know, coming in and stealing jobs or social services. Um, and, you know, they can, they can lock up refugees indefinitely. Like they're, they're just the, the group that happened to be chosen, um, to be so dehumanized and scapegoated. Um, yep. Yeah, so people like uh, John Howard, uh, Kevin Rudd, Peter Dutton, um, they decided that no one who uh, came to Australia by boat would ever settle here. Um, hmm. And so it was. Um, you know, anyone who came by boat after 2013 um, was put in mandatory detention. Um with it just indefinite and, you know, with, with no crime being committed, no end date um, in sight, you know, or just because these people decided it. The, the product of this 1990s and onwards political football has been people interned for many, many years. It's absolute lunacy. It's just cruelty of the highest order. You have been finding for the past year, along with RSM, four people in detention. And can you can I ask you, Sam? What conditions do they face, say, in the hotels right now? So a year ago, when we started protesting, um, a few of us who who started RSM uh, had been to Kangaroo Point um, in late two thousand and nineteen for a protest, um, 
a protest that happened because one of the one of the guys who was imprisoned at Kangaroo Point, um, Chasm, um, you know, couldn't even get things as basic as a as a guitar, um, an electric guitar to play music on. Um, so you know, it's pretty dire. But people also weren't being get given a you know adequate medical treatment for the conditions which had um, led to them being. Um, brought from offshore detention uh, to Brisbane. Um, you know, there, there um, were a lot of issues around the food um, not being halal and just not being um, up to any any kind of decent standard. Mm. Um, you know, the guys also not being able to um, to too fast because um, during Ramadan, uh, you know, they, they'd get their food at the same time, you know, not after the sun had gone down. Um, so, you know, they were, they were caught between having to break their fast early or, um, you know, eat cold food. Um, you know, there are other things like there were, there were men in there um, who had, uh, families, like wives and children in the community. Um, so yeah, those conditions uh, were what were what they'd been dealing with, you know, the whole way through um, their detention. But uh, when RSM started, it started because um, COVID had had kind of exacerbated the conditions in detention. Um, right. You know the guys in detention; they can't social distance at all. Um, you know there were fears that a lot of them were already immunocompromised because of uh, their medical conditions. Yeah. Um, the circo guards uh, who run the hotels had no obligation to um, to do any isolating or physical distancing between um, you know their their time on and their time off from work. Um, so, you know, the the guys inside Kangaroo Point um, started protesting first. They started getting up on their balconies with um, banners that they'd made in their bedrooms in the dead of night with stolen materials like bin mm. bags and masking tape. Um, and I think COVID at the start of the pandemic kind of laid the brutality of the system just right, right out for everyone to see. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, people were being um, screwed by their jobs. Um, you know, screwed by the police. Um, it it just just every possible way imaginable. Um, yeah, yeah. I, so, I think it like seemed to yeah. lay bare a lot of pre existing problems, or rather, uh, expose you know, wounds that I suppose business as usual, whatever we might call it, might have been hiding. And I think remarkably quickly we began to see that that how how little protections there were in place for people inside of that that, that detention. Yeah. yeah. So I guess um you know like such such a brave move by the guys inside um you know requires a solidarity response. Um you know, they're protesting on, on the inside. Um, you know, we need to go out there and, and show solidarity. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we did. We, we got together. Um, we made a short video, um, you know, saying, saying why we support the refugees and, um, you know, why we think refugees should be welcome here. Um, and then set out to do our first protest. Yeah. 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 And it's almost come up to one year now. You were telling me just before we began recording, one year since uh, Refugee Solidarity Manage and R S M began. Um, there must have been a lot of sacrifice and a lot of struggle over this past year. Yeah, it's been a massive year. Um, it, there's been some crazy things that, you know, most of us probably never done before. Um you know, like having to tell the police that we were exercising rather than protesting. Um, yeah. Um, which is what we started with. And then, you know, that turning into, um, you know, like eventually blockading um, the detention centre uh, for months um, and, you know, trying to stop transfer vans and, um you know, a series of escalating rallies where, um, you know, all kinds of crazy things happened. Yeah, they did. Um, and, you know, like some of the biggest, like, numbers for arrests um, that I've ever, ever seen at, at one protest. Um, and, you know, like, like we wheeled a, a homemade guillotine down Gray Street. Um, <laughs> I was hoping you'd mention that. Yeah, towards the uh, towards the mantra, um, kind of targeting the mantra because uh, in Melbourne, mantra was the hotel providing um, detention. Um, but, yeah, there, <laughs> there's just been a, a whole heap of crazy things that have happened. Um, lots of lessons learnt, but... Mm. Yeah, lots mm. of good memories. Yeah. It's through it all, you've, you've, you know, RSM, the people in the inside, outside supporters have faced, you know, just this wall of opposition, I think, from, you know, certainly from visible aspects like government and police and, and the media. Do, do, you think, do you think it's those elements that help us get so acclimatised to this horrendous idea of internment camps for people seeking asylum which isn't isn't illegal it's a human right do do you think it's 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 the powers that be that have managed to convince so much of the population here to just get used to this idea despite how horrendous it is yeah definitely like they have the whole like every every mechanism at their disposal they they have national news networks, um, you know, whole government agencies, um, you know, they have the floor in parliament to say whatever they want. Um, and they've been pitting, pitting, uh, you know, ordinary working class Australians against refugees for, for decades. Um, you know, uh, I think, when, when you demonise people so much, you know, by saying that, you know, they're trying to take your job or they're trying to take your welfare or 
they're going to block up the traffic or, you know, they're going to come here and change um, the culture of everything that we love. Yeah. Um, you know, which is all untrue. Like, I don't think it, I don't think it matters to people whether, um, you know, it's illegal or, or not. Like, I'm sure most people already realize that, um, the government breaks plenty of laws or, you know, at least they would if they really paid attention. Um, but you know, the, the government has been so effective at, at painting refugees as our enemies that, you know, people just don't seem to care. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, whether the government is, is torturing people or whether they're breaking um, international laws. It's really been um, one of their main yeah. nationalist projects, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But recently, um, 50 of the KP120 were released, um, which is incredible. Um, and, and, and firstly, how are they going? Um, most of them are, are going pretty good. Um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of, uh, shock for a lot of them. I think, um, you know, one of the guys said to me the other day that, you know, it's been, um, you know, a few weeks now and he's, it still hasn't really sunk in, still hasn't really, um, you know, like. he still really hasn't come to, to to terms with, you know, the fact that he's out of detention. Mm. Um, but like I said, it, it's still, um, there's still a struggle going on there. Um, you know, they, they got out of detention, but they, you know, don't have um, any, any source of, uh, of uh, welfare um, or housing or medical care. Um, pretty much all, all they got was, you know, $300 a fortnight um, and uh, housing or, well, accommodation for, mm. for around three weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, with, no real protections, um, you know, in, in terms of like award wages or job keeper or anything like that. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a struggle. It's crazy because on a small, it's, of course it's on a smaller scale when you're talking about 50 people, but it's the same vicious circle that, that, that earned us, um, previous waves of nationalist resentment cultivated by people like Pauline Hanson against, you know, first, second generation Vietnamese communities because our government would say, you know, even though they were a lot more enthusiastic back then in the 70s, 80s to actually let people in than they than they are now with our internment camps, but they would let people in, but they wouldn't do anything to help people to adjust or to support people or to provide them with services or translation or anything. So you have people who come in and they end up not being supported. And then when 
people have a difficult time, then you have scumbags like Pauline Hanson and then the government copy their message, you know, to sort of go, oh, well, look at these people, they're not assimilating. And then therefore, you know, people end up tightening or government ends up tightening uh, 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 their, their or strengthening their process, you know, against successive waves of markets. It's just a vicious circle. Yeah, definitely. Like the the government has put these guys in such a position that, um, you know, that they're not going to be able to, um, you know, connect with, with people in the same way, Mm. um, you know, because they're, they're in a constant struggle for survival, basically. Like, you know, they, they always got to think about like, how am I going to, you know, find a house? How am I going to pay rent for that house? How am I going to find a job if I don't have a house? Um, you know, it's going to put them in the most like desperate and destitute situations. Um, yeah, it's horrible. But um, hmm. what we are trying to do um, is fundraise for those 50 guys. Yes. Um, so if you go onto our Facebook page, uh, Refugee Solidarity Mianjin. Hmm. Yep. Um, and you scroll down a bit, you'll find a chuffed fundraiser. Um, called support for the KP120. Um, you could also just Google that support for the KP120. In fact, even easier, chuffed. they can just look in the description for this episode. I will put the link uh, uh, to the fundraiser for that in, so they could just it'll just be one click away for listeners to the podcast. And and tell us how the fundraiser will contribute to the welfare of the fifty release. Well, we are trying to raise. $200,000 at least, um, yep. and we are going to put that towards anything they need, you know, whether it's a car, um, you know, for rent, for food, um, you know, whether it's, you know, they, they want to buy some some clothes um, or, you know, just anything that they need, whether they need a new phone. Yeah. Um, that's what that money is for. Um, we, um, you know, there's, there's 50 people, so it's not, it's not that much each, but, um, you know, I think that it's a pretty reasonable target to try and fundraise that, um, you know, try and, try and support these guys to, um, you know, actually be free and, not have to worry about, um, you know, their financial situation, not be put into another form of imprisonment um, after spending eight years um, in detention centres. That is a noble cause and it needs to be supported by more of us. So I will put the link for the fundraiser in and I, I would beg that everyone listening please not just contribute some money to this fundraiser but also to tell their friends about the struggle of the the, the KP-20, the people released, 
the obvious difficulties that people uh, seeking asylum face when they are released from detention um, and aren't supported by our government. And if anyone's part of the anti-racist project here, as I would assume everyone listening to this podcast is, then they would know that one of the biggest things and best things we can do is support people seeking asylum to actually come in and be able to set up a new life here. That's one practical thing that anyone uh, who believes in, in, in that fight can do. Can I ask, Sam, is this a result this, the freeing of the 50 people stunned me. Was it a result of the pressure being applied by RSM and other groups? Oh, absolutely. You know, the the, the avenue that um, their release kind of came about was through a court case. And I won't get into the details too much because I don't want to, um, you know, kind of bungle them and yeah. um, give anyone the wrong idea. But without our protests and without the amount of um, attention that we brought to KP, um, you know, I, I don't know if that lawyer would have ever um, heard of the Kangaroo Point um, Detention Centre. And I, I don't know whether the government would have had so much pressure put on them that, um, you know, they, they couldn't have just uh, deported um, the people in detention um, back to Manus or Nauru. Um, you know, I I don't think it would have been possible without um, the amount of protesting that we did. Like, I remember uh, last year when we were threatening to do a sit-in on the Story Bridge. Um, um, and, you know, every day of the week, it was the police commissioner, um, the acting, the acting premier, um, mm. Stephen Miles. Um, you know, it was, um, it was just every day of the week them getting on the TV and saying, "You can't do this." You know, you think that you're doing something great, but you're not. Um, Shutting down the Story Bridge is not lawful protest activity in any sense, shape, or form. We will not tolerate that. We are in a world pandemic. This would have the potential to take us backwards. But, you know, any time that people saw that, that to see that we were protesting for refugee rights, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't making some unreasonable demand. We were just asking that they be let out of detention. Yeah. Um, you know, given freedom after, after seven years. Um, and you know we had we had massive rallies where um, there was there was hours of disrupt of disruption along a main arterial in Kangaroo Point on Main Street, um, and and you know we'd done it we've done it for almost a year and kept up pretty good um, um, momentum and kept the pressure on. So I definitely think that. Um, you know, without the protests that we did, there there wouldn't have been the result of, of fifty people getting released, um, and that there there wouldn't have been support um, for them when they came out either. You know, it it was it's it's people who you know were organising protests who are now organising um, you know like social events um, and 
you know, like getting people to, to medical appointments. Um, like, and I, like, I just got to give a shout out to everyone too, who's, who's doing that because the government really gives these guys no options for, for transport or for community connection. Um, like it's all been up to us and I just got to give a shout out to everyone who's doing that. Um, you know, everyone who's looking for houses and finding furniture for guys, like everyone's been doing amazing. Um, Incredible. And yeah, without us, it wouldn't have happened. Like, like, and it, it won't happen unless we keep doing it. So I think that history and time will prove the uh, uh, people like the police commissioner completely wrong in that what you have done is great. Um, and, and, and is heroic in my mind. I find this fight to release these people and then to, to have them in a position to live their lives here to be an incredible, you know, admirable struggle by both the activists outside and people inside detention. Um, I, I We need to see more people in and around the engines, sure, but Australia-wide participate in this fight. How can people show some support. Obviously, you've got the fundraiser. How else can people take part and show support? Well, people can show up to, to protests. Um, recently, uh, Refugee Action Collective has been doing um, uh, weekly weekly vigils at um, Kangaroo Point on Friday afternoons, and uh, Love Makes A Way has been doing uh, protests every Sunday, a faith vigil every Sunday. Um, Refugee Solidarity Mianjin is actually doing a protest uh, this Friday at 4.30 p.m. Mm. Um, to commemorate one year since we first exercised around the block. One year um, on Friday. Amazing. Yeah, we'll be, um, we'll be exercising around the block again. Um, <laughs> I love it. We'll be uh, listening to... Um, speeches, hopefully from some of the guys outside um, detention, but also those who are still in detention at Kangaroo Point and at uh, uh, Bida Brisbane uh, Brisbane Immigration Transit Accommodation. Um, you know, we'll we'll listen to those speeches, um, march around the block. Um, you know, I think there's going to be some chalk to write some some messages down. Um, I think we're going to, you know, do some chants, kind of relive some of our greatest hits. Um, so yeah, <laughs> at seven two one Main Street, at Kangaroo Point at four thirty on Friday. Where's the guillotine? Can that come back out, or was <laughs> is that a bit too divisive? <laughs> well, we we still got uh, Peter Dutton's head that'll uh, be making an appearance, I believe. Yes. yes. Um, I don't know about the guillotine. I think. It kind of got a bit uh, rattled last time, yeah. but I'll, I'll I'll put a good word in. Yeah, for yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring, bring it up, bring it up. I loved it. Um, I, I I find that incredible. And so just 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 to just to reiterate, that is four thirty this Friday at, uh, at at Kangaroo Point in in Mianjin, Brisbane. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, I will also put a link to that event on if there's if there's anything online in the description um, uh, to let people know. Uh, Sam, to you and to everyone else, as you said earlier at RSM and and everyone else working with with people freed from the the, the detention in the KP one twenty and and those still in detention. Thank you all so much for your fight and for everything you do. 
And for everyone else, get on that fundraiser right now. Link is in the description. Sam, anything else to plug? I think that's it. Thanks. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, uh, I really appreciate everything you do. Thank you. Thanks. So now we've got a copy of the National Socialist Network Activist Manual. Um, and it's not as exciting as they seem to think that someone like me would think it is. Um, there's a few interesting things in there, I suppose, um, but it's not its not the biggest drop in the world. Um, the reason that we've got it is because some different types of scumbags in nationalism don't like other types of scumbags in nationalism. Um, I tried to talk in my last YouTube video about, well, you know, I sort of casually, off the top of my head, had a bit of a yarn about the, the dispute between uh, civic nationalists and, you know, Hitler-larping national socialists. The national socialists, the Hitler-larpers, don't like the civic nationalists or civic patriots uh, because they say that they're cucks, they're optics cucks, and the, uh, um, the, the civic nationalists, um, or, or generally just the non-Hitler-larping types, tend to call the Hitler-larpers, well, they call them Hitler-larpers, and they say that they're bringing a bad name uh, to the rest of nationalism. And in the case of National Socialist Network, they say they're just speeding up the process of uh, prescribing uh, uh, various far-right groups as being terrorists, and therefore making it harder for anyone far-right to operate within Australia. I mean, for my part, it is a popcorn moment. I'm happy to sit back and watch that debate. But then again, it's also nothing new to me. I mean, this has always been the, the, the most ongoing debate within the far right. Do you pretend to be the new Hitler, as Tom Sewell is doing, or do you stick gum leaves and a, a, a little Anzac badge and play the last post to your particular brand of, 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 of Hitler-esque LARPing, as, say, people like Nathan Sykes would do. And Nathan Sykes is a veteran uh, gumleaf Hitler nationalist. <laughs> That's my loose term for people who basically do do the same things and have the same politics as a Hitler. They just sort of, like, think to themselves, oh, let's not explicitly Hitler LARP, per se. Um... And Nathan Sykes considers himself to be an elder statesman within National Socialism, and he doesn't like uh, new waves of nationalists, particularly ones that seem to Hitler laugh. In fact, I think he just doesn't like anyone that doesn't uh, take his specific advice regarding how to be a nationalist, and um, sort of just plays this grumpy elder statesman nationalist, whinging about new waves of nationalists online. Um, it's always been entertaining to watch Nathan Sykes and friends in the Australia First Party, him and Jim Salame and what have you, uh, but also on his site, New Australian Bulletin, him and several others, just whinging about everything. They've been whinging about other nationalists all throughout the life of the Patriot Movement. They were whinging about Neil Erickson, which is fine, he's scum. Whinging about Blair Cottrell, which is fine, he's scum. And um, whinging about everyone. Um, and... Uh, you know, never has it been more agreeable, I suppose, when they've been whinging about nationalists than than right now. Um, because, you know, the actions of the National Socialist Network and Tom Sewell are objectively, you know, I mean, they would be objectively bad for, for any wider movement that they're, they're sort of seen as being a broader part of. So I totally understand their, their antipathy towards these Hitler-larping little neo-Nazi um, would-be 
activists slash terrorists. <laughs> so it was in that spirit that Nathan Sykes uh, released, or you know, whoever it is, I just assume it was Nathan Sykes, but you know, someone who writes for his site anyway, the New Australian Bulletin, they leaked the National Socialist Network Activism Manual. And the National Socialist Network, um, this being presumably young Jacob Hersand, who runs that group, took to their Telegram channel, because uh, that's the only channel that they really have that they can communicate on, of course, to say, well, you know, we don't care. We knew it would come out anyway. Fuck you. And then they doxed some little 18-year-old boy who's apparently been a member of their group since he was a fucking young teenager. I mean, it, it helps to understand that apart from Tom Sewell, who's who's really just a... He's an early-onset premature boomer, but he's a child himself at 28 years of age. I mean, he's a fucking baby himself. They're all little boys. You know what I mean? Like, Jacob Hersen, who runs the National Socialist Network, is one of the older among them, and he's only fucking 22. They've got a lot of teenagers among them, you know? Like, kids who would be... A, doubling up their attendance with them right now because it's the school holidays kind of thing. It's fucking gross, you know. I've said previously, I've called described Tom Sewell as a groomer. They are groomers, you know. They bring little boys on board. And so here we're watching this thing right now where, you know, they're going, oh, you know, we've had our information leaked. We can't, we can't stand infiltrators and traitors. And they're these little boys doxing this other little boy watched on by Nazis, journos, feds, spooks, and activists. And it's just surreal and ridiculous. So I'm looking at this document and, you know, I mean, if you read what I say in my articles about National Socialist Network, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't be too surprised about much. If you know much about them and about the struggle and the goals and the strategies of them, you'd listen to a lot of what they'd said or what Sewell said in his podcast. There's not too much that's of any surprise in here. You know, there's a lot in here. This is a 112-page thing. This has got a lot of shit in there. This is meant to be a, a complete run-through on how to be a national socialist and how to be an activist for someone who doesn't know about any of it. You've got the typical kind of like National Socialist sort of like obsession with presentation. You know, you've got to be neat and clean and what have you, uh, be ripped. Um, but it also goes into activist t activities, how to be safe around cops, um, how to do a physical action, um, the kinds of actions that National Socialist Network will do, um, activities that they will do covertly and overtly, what to do if you're arrested, uh, you know, how to get away from an action without getting beaten up by the public. <laughs> um, I, I guess the only real, you know, for now, the only section that's of any interest to me is the, the there's one little section in there about promotion activities. And they talk about media baiting. If you look at the Jews Against Fascism page, they, 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 they do a lot of work in terms of um, talking about how pissed off they get about, <laughs> about like, uh, Devere Abramovich of, of the, the Anti-Defamation Commission constantly just without any commentary. And I do this myself. I get annoyed at it too. Just with it, sans any commentary or insult whatsoever. Just po shitposting everything 
tolerated by Facebook, actually greenlit by them specifically because he got banned and then they he spoke to someone senior and then they put him back on and let him do it. Just reposting everything on this mainstream social media platform that the National Socialist Network do. And basically just going, well, oh, look what they said about me or oh, look how bad it's got. As though we didn't need commentary or analysis-free confirmation that Nazis are bad. You know, it's basically repurposing their material as badge of honour stuff to legitimise his role in in terms of constantly going on the television and going, oh, they're bad, Peter Dutton, please make everything illegal. Which is not, you know, from my sort of anarchist, anti-fascist perspective, is not the solution I fucking have in mind for how to deal with these people. I want the community roundly to understand this threat and to reject these scumbags. You know, I don't want fucking laws to be introduced for all this stuff because that is only going to deal with the the, the ex- most extreme end of these people as they become terrorists. It's not going to deal with the underlying cultural problems that we have, whether they be on social media or otherwise, that cause national socialists to, to, to flourish. But there you have it. Groups like Devere in there, um, constantly posting about it's just reposting everything that these groups do and basically making themselves as targets um, uh, for promotional purposes of, of groups like National Socialist Network. And we always said that. Jews Against Fascism, as I say, they've been saying that consistently, specifically about those groups. So it's really interesting to see that, of course, um, this activist manual confirms that they agree with us. <laughs> we were right! See what I said? I told you so moments. Media baiting. This is one of the subtitles in this section about promotion. Media baiting. Our group has come to the attention of the media, either leftist or mainstream outlets, and often Jewish community news as well. The articles or stories produced about us are highly slanderous, trying to link us to far-right terrorism, attempting to identify and publish information about activists and report that the police are investigating. Firstly, this is a good thing, and media baiting is a huge portion of our recruitment drive. There are currently hundreds of minor nationalist groups in Australia, but none of them ever amount to anything without media attention. Even if the articles are mostly negative, the readers of the article are not the target audience. We are trying to win over youth who are already sympathetic to the cause and are seeking an outlet for their views. This is confirmation that when we say you have to be careful when you talk about these groups, lest you unintentionally just empower them and make them look stronger, this is confirmation that, of course, they know this too, that they're working towards this. We already fucking knew this, you know. These these groups are very savvy of the media environment that they work in. And as I said in my last article for Independent Australia about these people, because they are denied mainstream platforms, they are using the media as their middleman. And that's not to say that you can't talk about them. And in fact, indeed, there should be people who talk about them. But... People who aren't in a position with enough education to be able to provide the analysis that both aptly describes the groups and their plans whilst also not working to empower them, but rather to undermine them or not act in a way that effectively strengthens their image. That's a very difficult task. 
And it's a task that's beyond many of these CVE, that's countering violent extremism bodies um, or, or, or groups such as the Anti-Defamation Commission who um, actually end up becoming lol cows or content distributors on mainstream platforms for these groups. So we were already saying that, but now it's nice to see that the actual national socialists in question are agreeing with us. Another thing that I think is important to note from here, and this again is in the promotion section, is the fact that, well, look, I'm, I'm often telling other lefties to not merely share every single sticker that they see from the National Socialist Network because it is what they want to see. You know, one fucking sticker on a sign that has, you know, fascist imagery on it uh, only gets seen by everyone who walks by that sign. When you put it onto a viral social media post, you essentially get it seen by, well, it's just, you know, all of the internet, any of the leftist internet, you know, and any all of their friends that when they share it. Um We've always said this to people. I've always been sitting there like whack a mole trying to tell people, look, you know, we can talk about these things. Of course, we need to organise better, but we can't simply play their role in distributing their content for them. It bolsters their identity. It makes them look stronger, even though it's just a fucking sticker. And all they've ever been doing since 2016-17 is putting up fucking stickers. They're still at the same point, you know? They're a stickering group. We can't actually participate in making them look stronger by sharing every one of their stickers and going, oh, look, they're here, oh, look, they're there. Gives the impression that they're fucking everywhere. They know this. And indeed, this group, this activist manual confirms that. It says here, pretending to be offended by the organisation in your post is a good way to promote the organisation in hostile groups. This way, your post won't be deleted. Often, you can use legitimate enemies whining about the organisation on social media as inspiration for your posts. Include negative words that leftists often use. An example of a negative promotion, and the idea here is that they can create a leftist sock in order to post this up. I found these posters on the way to class. The racist losers call themselves National Socialist Bracket Nazi Close Bracket Network. I like the name as it makes it impossible for their friends in the government and media to deny that they're pieces of shit and then include a picture of a poster at a university campus. This of course is confirmation that half the time when you see these posts that they might actually be fucking Nazis themselves. Um, this is my, my only message. The only interesting thing about all this for me is that section really because it demonstrates to you how savvy these people are about how to use outrage to promote themselves online you do we do have to talk about them but we have to let the right people with the right level of education be the ones talking about them otherwise we make them look stronger unless there's something that undermines them or portrays them in a sufficiently undermining way in your coverage that's how i approach it anyway and i don't think it should be published there needs to be analysis that portrays them in the pathetic light they actually should be seen in if you can't do that you're effectively playing their game for them 
So anyway, they're all shitheads. They're all going to hell. So anyway, they're all shitheads. That's their little manual. And um, now it's out. If you want to see it, I'm sure I'll put it out there in some form or another eventually. Um, I will continue along the project of quietly organising with other anti-fascists behind the scenes to make sure we're all as prepared as possible for when these pieces of shit inevitably start organising more public and do stunts in more public environments. I will not wait around for ASIO or for people who ra rage share their material just to help promote themselves. I will not wait around for solutions from them and nor should you. Anti-fascism is something that you do. You don't wait for other people to do it. You don't wait for the government to go and do it for you because they fucking won't. You have to do it yourself. So show an interest and get involved. Fuck those scumbags. Swear to God. Fuck the lot of them. Absolute Hitler larvers. Um, see you next fortnight, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Pork and Feed the Birds.